Well, good morning. <laughs> Don't get carried away. Good morning. I'm, I'm Andy, and as Adele said, we're going to look at generosity just for a few minutes this morning. And as we do this, I asked some different friends in Edinburgh. So this is three different friends who aren't Christians. They're not churchgoers, but good friends. And they all live in Edinburgh. What they think about when they think about the church. And this is what they said. So the first one said self-righteous. I think they also said strong sense of community. So that was quite positive. One of them said a bit preachy, but we demons will poke your eyes out in eternity with pitchforks. So if you're new to church, that is exactly what we believe. No, that is not what we believe at all. And the, the final one was cult followers and made up, was what it says. Cult followers and made up. Well, they won't be getting a Christmas card. And it was made up anyway, isn't it? So what's the point? So, but I asked them what was their view on the church. Because when you look at the early church, one of the key hallmarks, one of the key descriptions was generosity and sacrifice. And if people looked at Central, if they looked at us, would they describe us as generous? Would they describe us as sacrificial? And the first thing I want to say is absolutely yes. I'm very aware that this morning there are many people who give so generously to this church. People who are serving our kids now so that we can be in the gathering. Many of you give huge amounts financially and we are so grateful for that. Jeff single-handedly keeps this building going. Honestly, he does. But there's so many ways. Welcome hospitality, running the communities, meeting people in the middle of the night who need pastoral care and support. We have such a generous church. We are so grateful. So thank you. We are very aware as a team, as elders, that we have a very generous church and we are really grateful for that. But I want to spend about 20 minutes hopefully keeping it tight with the church meeting, just looking how can we be increasingly generous? What's God asking of us this year to be known as a generous church in this city? I want to say before I unpack scripture a couple of things. First of all, we are going to be looking at money as a key part of that, but it's not just money. It's our time, our talents, our gifts, our different things that as Clive and Liz referred to are in our hand. What has he given us to steward? But I do want to talk about money as part of that. And as I do that, I realize that there's two things that can happen immediately. One is you could be like my brother, and he hasn't been to church for eight years because the last time he went to church was the first time in 10 years. So he's been once in the last 18 years, and it summed up everything he thought about church. They were after his money. And I'm not saying that's fair or accurate, but his perception was, all you're after is my money. It did happen to be a giving Sunday, which was unfortunate for him. But... We want you to know God's love. We want you to know the love of God's people far before we ask for your money. That is really important. We aren't judging anyone. We're not expecting anyone to be giving. It's between you and God. And equally, the other thing I'm very aware of is that we are entering a winter that for many people, we're very anxious about this. I know Adele and I have had to read budget thinking, how are we going to make this winter work with our finances? How are we going to get through? How are we going to make things add up? And we don't want you to feel judgment or pressure or guilt into giving when you're struggling to make ends meet. That's really important. We want to be prayerful about what is God asking of us, but we don't want to be feeling guilt-ridden when we're already feeling burdened enough about the winter ahead of us. We want you to know God's love and God's care from his people before anything else. But what I do want to say as we think about money particularly is whether you give a pound, and I genuinely mean a pound a month or a thousand pounds, then God honors that and God blesses that. And that's really important. So all of us can consider our generosity with our money, but also our time, talents, and different gifts. And as you think about money, I was also aware that 
I was chatting to Connor just last week, who's our youth worker, and he was saying that one of his youth has started tithing their pocket money. Now, it's Edinburgh, so their pocket money is probably more than I earn, but assuming it's not, it's probably a small amount. I don't know, but actually I was really touched by that because that's incredibly generous. That is incredibly generous, and that is someone who, in their young years, has allowed God to change their heart and has spoken to them, and they're giving generously from their pocket money. So I'm going to pray for us, and what I'm asking this morning is that we'd be open to what God might want to say to us. Not what fancy words I might use, it's between you and God, but I want to provoke us this morning and challenging us as we look at Scripture. So I'm going to pray. You might want to put your hands out in front of you just as a sign of being open to what God might want to say to you this morning. Lord, I simply pray that where we need affirmation and encouragement, we would receive that this morning. The way you want to challenge and perhaps provoke and convict us, I pray that you do that too. And I thank you that across this church there is so much generosity and sacrifice. But where you're asking any of us, individually and or as a church, to be increasingly sacrificial and increasingly generous, I pray that we'd be open to that. Holy Spirit, would you very much be here and present and would you minister to us and speak to us afresh this morning. Individually and as a church family, we ask. Amen. Amen. So we are in 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you're in selling everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to testify, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through he was, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have a desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply they, what they need, so they in turn will have plenty to supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who scattered little did not have too little. So the first thing I want to say is it's about our heart. So Paul is collecting, collecting money from the church in Corinth, and he's referring to the Macedonian church, and trying to get money for his church in Jerusalem, where there's poverty and hardship, perhaps because of persecution for following Jesus. And notice he doesn't command them to give. He points towards the grace of Jesus. He points towards the love of God. He reminds them that God has done so much for them, 
but he lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven for them, for us, forgave us for our sins, offers us eternal life. It comes from that place of understanding God's grace. It's that gratitude that led to generosity. It's a gratitude of God's grace that led to generosity. He didn't command them. He points them to Jesus. All that Jesus has done and understanding the goodness and grace of God leads to their generosity. I said a while back, I wonder if the opposite of grace is entitlement, where we feel we're entitled to certain things, or these are my rights, my expectations. But the undeserved favor of God smacks that into the face and says, grace is different, grace is the opposite. When we understand God's grace for ourselves, we want to give away. It changes our heart. When we understand what God has done for us, it changes our heart. Are we open to God changing our heart again this morning? And the reason Jesus and the scriptures talk so much about money, Jesus talks about money more than anything else, is that he realizes that it can be a distraction. It can steer our hearts away from God. He goes to a young wealthy ruler and he challenges him to give up everything. He says, are you prepared to sell everything to follow me? And it's not that Jesus is against wealth because throughout scripture there's wealthy leaders. There's something about the fact that there's people who still have affluence and follow Jesus who still are clearly able to handle and steward the money that we were given by God. But he's concerned about their heart being distracted. He's concerned about them being distracted from the primary call of serving solely Jesus. Jesus isn't against money, but he is against any idol or distraction that would take our eyes off of him. Because the truth is, all the empirical research says the increasing amount of wealth you have, the smaller percentage you give away. The more wealthy you are, the less generous you are, according to the research. Perhaps it's the cost of your life, perhaps it's the wealthier crowd we hang out with, but it changes our hearts. It distracts us from solely following Jesus. It distracts us from being increasingly generous and sacrificial. What does it look like to allow God to speak to your heart this morning to convict and challenge your heart as you are renewed for your passion for him, as you're renewed for your love for him, as you re-understand once again the grace of God you give out of a place of generosity. Years ago, I was at Gold Hill Baptist, I've said this before, and I was helping at a kids' club called Timebreaker. And at the end of a kids' club, I was clearing up, I was leading one of the kids' groups, and I went into the bathroom, and I went in and was slightly starstruck because Fiona Castle was there. Now, you might not know who she is, but she was Roy Castle's wife, and Roy Castle used to lead record breakers, and he was a bit of a celebrity back in the day, and she also, in her own right, was well-known. I didn't know her, but she said, hello, Andy, which I was blown away. She knew my name. But then she had this big grin on her face, knew this joy that we referred to in this passage, the joy of God's grace. She had this big grin on her face. How are the children doing? I've been praying there to know the love of God this week. She was desperate that they would know the love of Jesus. She said, I've been praying. I mean, what I realized is that she'd been going around the different blocks, cleaning the toilets, because that was her way of serving the different events. She went after all the events had finished, but she was desperate to clean the toilets just in a simple way of serving the events so that children would know the love of God. And I also know she's incredibly generous with her finances. That is someone who, despite their celebrity status, knew the love of God knew the grace of God, and it changed everything. They were just determined to have this joy, the presence of God, and it spilled over to how they lived, how they sacrificed, how they lived a life of generosity. God wants to speak to our hearts this morning. He wants to provoke and shape our hearts as we are renewed about his, good, his goodness and his love. But it's also about our holiness. 
Corinth was renowned for its immorality. It was renowned for its different sins. And Paul challenged them and says, you excel in everything, but not your giving. And I was thinking about this. I wonder if it's because there's no accountability around our giving. Rightly so. I don't know what you give. I don't know where your money goes. You don't know where my money goes. That's right. That's appropriate. But there's not the same accountability in the same way if there was gossip or if there was greed. It's more obvious. But we don't have access to each other's finances, and that's right. It's between you and God, which means we don't compare. It's not in my business what you give. That's between you and God. You don't have a right to speak into my life. But equally, I don't judge you, and you don't judge me. It's between you and God. He's saying you need to excel in your giving as well because Jesus cares about how we spend our money. And let's be honest, we often get caught up in other stuff. We often get caught up in other debates, but there's over 2,000 verses in Scripture about money and about how we are to spend and use our money. And we can easily get distracted by other current affairs, but how we spend our money, how we use our money individually and as a church does matter. Jesus wants us to have a perspective on money that is in line with his. And when we look through the sweep of Scripture, we realize that it's different. Broadly speaking, he is more condemning of greed and injustice than any capitalist worldview. He's more positive around wealth than any socialist worldview. The Old Testament talks about the fact to give 10% of us our income. That's a general guide. But in the New Testament, he talks about sacrifice. It's between us and God. He wants us to be sacrificial. They gave beyond their capabilities, it says in this passage. They were in a place of poverty. We know that from elsewhere. They were in poverty, yet they gave beyond their capabilities. They gave from a place of sacrifice. They gave abundantly, even though, humanly speaking, they didn't have much. Their generosity wasn't about how much they had. It was about their heart. It was about their holiness. I'll never forget hearing a talk by Rick Warren a few years ago. And Rick Warren, as many of you know, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life and one of the largest churches in America. And The Purpose Driven Life is the second best all-time selling book after the Bible. And someone said to him, why did God allow you to write this book which made millions and millions? Instantly he gave that to his church and to different charities. And he said, the reason God allowed me to do that is because I had a 26-year track record of giving away in need. I always received the local church pastor's wage. Every year I upped my income whether it's 1% or half a percent, I up my income every year. By the time the book was published, I was giving away 91% of my regular salary. 91% of his regular salary. God always provided for me, he said. But God could trust me to steward well. God could trust me to handle this wealth. God could trust me to handle this success. We've got a 26-year track record of giving away in need. God blessed and honored his sacrifice. God blessed and honoured his holiness before him and God. He didn't tell anyone until 26 years later when people started hassling him. It's about our heart, it's about our holiness, and it's also about the church's health. In this passage we see that God, God desires, Jesus desires through Paul, that there's equality. He's not speaking to the individual. We've often had quite an individualistic view of the Christian faith, but he's speaking to the community and saying, I want equality. Not that some would have excess and some would be in poverty, but there would be equality. That we would give and receive. That those who are more in need would receive. Those who are able to give more would give. And this is important because if you're receiving from the church, if you're 
getting resources from the church firm, brilliant. Don't feel guilty about that. That's what the church is for, to look after one another, to care for one another, to steward well and resource one another. But equally, we're also to give so others can know some sense of equality. I was thinking about this this morning. Adele, my wife, her mum's here this morning, so I need to be slightly careful what I say. But she was in a situation growing up where at times she was in real poverty. And the church not only were key in providing her an access to know Jesus, which was obviously vitally important, but also provide her food parcels and many gifts and allowed her to keep going really as a family. But now she's raking it in. She's not. But now she's able to give back for those years of receiving and neither a right or wrong. At times we will receive more, at times we will give more. That's how a church works. We're there to look after one another, to love one another, to give and receive. It's about the wider health of the church, the wider health of other churches so we care for one another and steward our resources within one another. One of the things that struck me on my extended leave, I had June and July off, one of the things that God spoke really clearly to me about was just how the early church was just known for its generosity. And I tried to study the book of Acts. And when you look in the first few chapters of Acts, time and time again, they're noted for their sacrifice, they're noted for their giving, they're noted for the fact that they're looking after the shared belongings within the community. And then you see the favor upon them, the healings, the miracles. I don't think it's a coincidence that there's that generosity and also that abundant blessing and favor. I think the two go hand in hand. I think the fact that they were sacrificial and generous led to them knowing the favor upon them. This is so true that in the first few chapters of Acts, I think it's Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira are struck dead because of their greed and their inability to handle the wealth of God and to steward the money that they were given. And they were trying to hide what they were given. That's a big theological debate for another day, but... God doesn't like greed, he doesn't like selfishness, he doesn't like it when we're not transparent with our money. The favor upon the church is when we're generous and sacrificial, the two go hand in hand. I've seen this myself in the last few months, I was down at a church that many of you know called Soul Survivor, and I was just blessed, I was with them for a day over my time off, and the generosity that they put towards me was incredible. Gave me loads of books, took me for lunch, prayed for me, spent hours with me, it was really quite overwhelming how much they looked after me. And again, is that the same reason that God is really blessing and using them? I'm sure it is. I'm sure the generosity has lead, led to the favor of God upon them. The two go hand in hand. A friend of mine who I actually know through Wes, a guy called Ken, he leads the church in Australia. He's got 160 staff and he says to me, any time you want to ring me, just ring me. And he's got all these resources on his website and says, if your church wants to take any of this off, just grab it. We want to give away what God's given us. We want to give away what God's given us. He said, if you come to Australia, we'll look after you and give you a house on Magnetic Island for a week. We'll let you see Bremer City. I was meant to do it in my extended leave. I went to Watford instead. But, but the generosity that was upon him, the generosity that was upon the church had led to this abundant favor, I'm sure. Generosity leads to God's favor. The two go hand in hand. And the other thing I want to say about the health of the church is that the reason Paul in this passage commends Titus is because he wants Titus to make sure that it's stewarded well. It's not that clear from this passage, but he's making sure that it's above board. He's making sure that it's transparent. He's making sure that there's no corruption. They're handling the money well. 
He wants to be really clear with the church for how you handle your money and how you steward your money and being above board and not having corruption is really important. And that's one of our promises to you as a church. We want to steward your money well. We want to be prayerful and discerning about how we spend your money. We want to be above board and transparent. And I want to commend Kenny and Tom and others on that. They're really keen to steward and handle the money you give to this church well. It's important to us. It's about the health of the church, how we're transparent with how we spend it, but also how we look after one another, how there's equality within it. So what does it look like for God to speak to our hearts? What does it look like to consider it as an act of holiness? God cares how we spend our money. And what does it look like to think about money for the wider sake of the church and the wider health of the body? I was thinking about this recently in terms of the church. It's become increasingly apparent that the church not only is a marginal voice, but actually what we say is often deemed to be less significant than other worldviews, often the church's perspective, whereas perhaps it had a stronger voice in years past. Now, not only is it not a level voice, it's often considered the weaker voice or the, the voice not to listen to. You might disagree with that, but let's see how it is. The reality is no one can argue with a generous church. No one can argue with a church who's really sacrificial. No one can argue with a church who is really intentional around giving away. When we're giving away and we're abundantly blessing others, people can't argue that. All the three friends who I mentioned at the start, I think, I think, even though they disagree with my faith, and I've spoken to each of them about it, I think they'd have respect for Adele and I in terms of how we endeavor to live generous, generously. I'd hope they would. I was referring and thinking about the book that Mike Frost wrote, which we refer to pretty much most weeks, but the book Surprise the World. He talks about different ways that we evangelize. And there was two groups of people who were challenged to share Jesus. One just by giving things away. And the others were asked to just go out and tell people about Jesus. So one group just went around and telling people about Jesus and sharing the incredible hope they had in Jesus. The other were just giving things away. The group who were giving away generously had 50 times more opportunities to tell others about Jesus than the group who were just evangelizing. Am I saying we shouldn't evangelize? Absolutely not. We have a God-given privilege and responsibility to share the hope we have in Jesus. Absolutely but our generosity so often opens doors so we can be on about our incredible hope in Jesus. Let's be a generous church. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking, I'd rather we were a generous church than a wealthy church. I'd far rather we were a generous church than a wealthy church. I think that's where God's favor is. I think that's what God calls us into. What does it look like for us to love this city in the different strikes that are going on with the cost of living crisis, the different things that are happening what does it look like for us to respond with generosity? As we think about communities hoping to come church plants, we think about going the extra mile to love others, we think about the cafe going to two days a week, as we think about cap and counseling, all the things that we're part of, what does it look like for us to be increasingly known as a generous and loving and sacrificial church? Let's be known this year as a generous church. Let's be known for people who give away. Let's be known for people who go above and beyond. I'm not for a second saying we're not that, but I do wonder if we can be increasingly so. I do wonder if God wants to provoke us further in this area. So what am I asking of us? I'm asking that we would pray about this. As we said, it's between us and God. It's not anything to do with the people around you. It's between you and God. I'm not responsible to tell you how much you should give, and you're not responsible to tell me how much I should give or how I should use my time, talents, and resources. But we should pray about that and speak to God. It's different seasons. What is he asking us of our talents, our time, our resources? What have you got in your hand, as Clive and Liz referred to earlier? 
perhaps chat to one or two others in your community of trusted friends, sound them out. What is God provoking in you? Ask them this week how God is speaking to them and how God might be speaking to you. And then I wonder if it's time to act. Sometimes we overly spiritualize things, don't we? But actually sometimes it's just about practical steps forward. Sometimes it's just about saying, actually, I'm going to give one pound a month to this church. That's all I've got, but I want to give because I believe in stewarding the money that God has given me. I want to give a few hours to a cafe. I want to help with kids' work. I want to help with welcome team. Whatever it is, that's between you and God. We're challenged to be increasingly generous. We're challenged to be people who make sacrifices. Let me pray for us before a band come up. Father, I just pray that this morning simply only your words would land. If there's anything that's not quite right or out of kilter, we pray that that would be forgotten. But where your spirit is hovering and you're just speaking to us or challenging us or encouraging us or even just reminding us of the incredible hope we have in you this morning. I pray we'd be so open to a still, small voice of God. And I pray for those of us who do just go above and beyond and give in so many different ways. I pray that we would just be encouraged and blessed this morning knowing that. But for all of us, whether in new ways or in extended ways, where you want to just stretch and provoke us to give in different ways, including our finances, I pray that we would be so open to what you might want to say to us this morning. And we thank you for all the incredible things you do in and through this church and all the ways we witness to those who don't know you. We thank you for many, many, many stories of just your grace and your goodness flowing through your people through this church, Lord. But we pray that we be known across this city as people who are generous and sacrificial, people who just love you so much that just want to give that away in abundance. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.